Welcome to the LifeSpring Podcast. We are a growing community of Jesus followers who are being changed by Him and are helping others to do the same. Our mission is to join God in restoring broken lives, families, and communities here and around the world. Every December, hundreds of millions of believers in Jesus from around the world celebrate Advent as part of the lead-up to Christmas Day. It's a time of anticipation and expectation. We not only remember the long-awaited coming of King Jesus 2,000 years ago, we also stir up our anticipation for his second coming. Just as many had mistaken expectations about Jesus' first arrival, we could inadvertently miss who he will be in his second coming. In this series, we will explore stories and prophecies that lead to a transformative infusion of hope, faith, joy, peace, and victory for us today. And it's just so great to see all of you again. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming out on this Christmas weekend. Um, I just am so grateful for all of the people who have made this possible, the, the, the people up on stage leading us, the people behind the scenes, the volunteers working with our kids, the decorations this year. I don't know if you guys got to enjoy the light show on the building. The team that did that is amazing in the lobby, and there's a photo, a photo op if you didn't get a chance to snag a picture with your friends and your family encourage you to do that. It is that time of year for Christmas photos, and um, we've been getting some of the cards, you know, that come in the mail. Here's some, uh, some of our favorites from this year. We've got this family picture here. This is the Brumbledores, and uh, Dad, would you wear that sweater? I'm not sure about that. And then you've got the Screenish family, and this is their family picture. I personally, my favorite is Mr. Whiskers here with his uh, handler. I just love the beard on the cat which is great. And then the uh, Brumbergers, they always produce a lively Christmas photo. Do you know there's an app for that now? You can just filter that, turn it into smiles. Boom, there you go. I did that personally. I tried out that app. That was just so great. But there's a lot of different filters. Maybe you guys use filters on your phone. Um, for me, I sometimes use beauty filters. So you, here you can see some of my Snapchat filters, uh, just different ways I look. Uh, so, some are a little scary. Some are a little, I don't, Look, that'll do. I, okay, ho, 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 there we go. I personally like the youthful me. Um, very, very fun. There's filters for your pets. You can turn your pet into a Disney animal. There are artistic filters that you can put on any picture you take, like hot cocoa. Hot cocoa is a filter that just turns every picture. All of a sudden, it's just like, I just feel so warm and cozy. when I'm. Do you know there's actually a winter Ohio River Valley filter? Yeah, it's like a bleak brown with hints of drab gray. It's awesome. It turns all your pictures that way. So here's the thing. Whether we realize it or not, there aren't just filters for our pictures, but there are filters by which we look at the world. And, um, you know, these are the product of all kinds, of, you know, your, your family of origin, the spiritual and physiological genetics you've inherited, your personality, your life circumstances, your, your upbringing, all of the sad, bad, and tragic things that have happened and disappointing things in our lives, all of these create these invisible filters that can affect how we look at and interact with ourselves, other people, the world in general, how we process the media we watch, the news we see. Um, it affects the way we look at the past, the present, and the future. And here's just a few of those filters. Many people nowadays have a filter of anger, just so on edge. 
so trigger trigger happy, so quick to find irritation and annoyance. But they say anger is a secondary emotion, that there's actually something else under the surface. And oftentimes, there's a deep sense of dread that we live with. And I don't, I think just even the last few years, I think it's just kind of increased and it's kind of permeating everything, this anxiety and dread that we feel or shame. Shame is that feeling of I'm dirty, I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes, some sense of um, I'm not enough. And that can affect and, and, and filter how you look at everything. And then I think perhaps maybe the most common, most pervasive, and the most disheartening is sadness or disappointment. And um, this can be a filter that affects the way we look at everything. And, and again, we don't even realize it. These are some of the negative filters, but there are also positive filters that can affect how we look at and interact with the world. Um, filters of hope, and peace, filters of joy, filters of love. What I want to do today is look at how Christmas and the message and the essence of Christmas is a filter that has a positive transformative impact on how we look at everything, our past, our present, future, ourselves, other people, um, the world in which we're living that can seem so, so dark and bleak at times. And so what I want to do is look at some of the, I just want to pop into some of the Christmas story accounts. And here's what's so cool, by the way, I should mention. The filter of Christmas is not just so powerful because of its Impact. It's powerful because it's true. It's born out of, or rather maybe we should say born into human history. So it's not just a filter we're fabricating and making up to try and be happy. It's a filter that's grounded in historical truth. And so we're going to look at some of the historical narratives. And I want to see if you can see the filter. And that, that was a hint. And let's start with the prophecy of Zechariah about John the Baptist, who was Jesus' predecessor. You will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Powerful imagery and metaphors. What about the shepherds out watching their sheep at night, keeping watch over their flocks? An angel appears, and what, is, what happens? The glory of God shines all around them. What about Simeon's prophecy when he held the eight-day-old Jesus? He said, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then you've got the story of the Magi or the wise men who travel sometime later and follow a star to find Jesus. I'm no astronomer, but I think a star is some kind of nuclear fusion of gases that's emanating heat and light. And so if you haven't picked it up already, there's a powerful metaphor of light that is woven not just through the whole story of the Bible, but specifically in the accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ. And... That imagery of light, that idea of light, didn't start with Jesus' birth. This was actually woven into the ancient prophetic promises that the people of Israel had been clinging to for years. Here's just one of them. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who've dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Guys, I think sometimes we take for granted the implications of this idea that a loving creator set in motion our universe with a plan that had ultimate and eternal implications for his creation for human beings. And so the Judeo-Christian worldview that America is kind of seeped in, or at least has been up until more recent days, seems like it's disintegrating, influences our worldview to live with things like hope and joy and peace and love. These things have meaning because of the premise and the foundation behind them. And I think sometimes those who, and if you're here and you're a complete secularist, atheist, maybe agnostic, not exactly sure, I think, and I wonder, I'm not saying this is for sure, but I I wonder if maybe that many people who live with the fundamental foundation that we are sort of a random fruit of evolutionary processes over millions of years that has no real ultimate and eternal meaning that in the end there is annihilation, you just kind of live and then you die and you sort of make your own meaning in this world. I wonder if maybe you're milking some of the implications that come out of the biblical premise that we have a loving God who made us and wants to redeem us and take us to a place that's glorious and triumphant in the future. And so what happens when you get Darwinian evolution woven in with modern technological advances? You get poetic reflections about the end of this empty, meaningless saga of evolutionary you know, processes and mutations over time with human self-annihilation. And I'm about to quote a 1980s thrash metal band Metallica and their song Blackened. Yes, I am doing that on Christmas weekend. But just go with me here for a second. Play out the implications. Manger, Christ, the Christ child, God himself becoming incarnate. None of that. Let's just play out the possibility and what do we get? Here are the lyrics. Blackened is the end. Winter it will send throwing all you see into obscurity. Death of Mother Earth, never a rebirth. Evolution's end, never will it mend. Millions of our years, and menace disappears. Darkening in vain, decadence remains. All is said and done, never is the sun. Should I sing it? Fire to begin with the dance of the dead. Blackened is the end. Blackened. (laughs) The reason... The reason I know that song, guys, is because I played it a lot when I was a troubled teenager, and my heart gravitated to the music that put words to what I was feeling. If there is no good, loving creator God, if we are just the empty, meaningless result of random evolutionary processes that have played out over millions of years, and when we die, that's it. We dissolve. There's nothing more. The nihilistic implications of that are sobering and tragic. But here's the thing. Let's play out the other idea. Just go with me here for a minute today. What if the message of Scripture celebrated 
by those of us who trust in and believe in Jesus is true, that God so loved the world. Here's what John has to say about it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's talking about Jesus here. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is from the eyewitness John saying, I saw him and he came from God, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the idea of Jesus Christ, God himself coming to be with us to show us what God is like and to bring light into our darkness. John goes on in his account to describe a meeting. It was sort of a, a clandestine meeting at night between a religious leader named Nicodemus. He was a well-known religious leader and he had questions about this young upstart rabbi named Jesus, but he was scared to go public with that and to approach him in the daytime. He's afraid of what other people think. And so he came to him at night, John tells us. And as he came into that meeting, he asked him, who are you? Trying to get his head around this message Jesus had been sharing. And Jesus said to him, nobody can see the kingdom of God unless God himself, God's spirit, enables you to be reborn. And then he goes on and, he, and we get some of the most famous and the most challenging words in all of the Bible. Perhaps you've heard them before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I think we've got a little more. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may cl be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The idea that the light, which you would think is so magnetic, just like moths on a dark night and your light out on your porch are drawn to it, you would think that the idea that God, full of grace and truth, came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You could see him, you could touch him, you'd think the crowds would have just charged to him and yet this says that people instead chose to stay in the darkness why why would we stay in the darkness because the second you step into the light 
of God and Jesus in his way, you begin to see your own shadow. And there's a couple, two really big reasons, I think, why we as human beings resist stepping into the light. One is selfishness. Like an ornery preschooler wants to do his own, go his own way, like a rebellious teenager bucks the good counsel of his parents. When I'm over here in the dark, I can do whatever the hell I want. Nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody can even see what I'm doing. But the second I step into the light and I acknowledge there is right and there's wrong, all of a sudden I feel indicted. It, 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 it hits and it smacks into my pride. Even the idea of saying, I have evil and wicked. No, I'm a good person. I'm not, I'm not like those other people. I'm not a bad person. Some people, though, say, oh, I know how bad I am. I can't stand to face that. And they're both forms of pride. But here's the thing. God, in his goodness, does not leave us out here groping in the darkness. It is, it is as if there is like this divine search beam that God has scouring over the face of the earth. I'm not shining this in anyone's eyes because I will burn them out. I promise you, this thing points to the stars. So God is like searching and he finds you and he zooms in on you with an invitation. He is tapping into your primal longing to look from the, I don't care how far you've gone, how deep you've gone in embracing the darkness, you look and see there's a glimmer of light and a warm glow coming from a window and there's a family inside and they're dining and there's somebody who's come out to find you like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep and he's saying, come join this and he invites you to step into the light. How do we step into the light? Two things. It is a commitment and it is a confession. It's a commitment to say, there is right, there is wrong, there is good, there is bad. See, that's the thing. For people who deny the light, we're left in a world where no one can say what is right and what is wrong. Who are you to say to somebody else what they choose to think, feel, or do is wrong? So what if it goes against your wishes? Does it even matter? Is there even right and wrong? And yet, when we commit to Jesus' way, we say there is a right, there is a wrong. He knows best, and I will humbly and lovingly submit to and serve him because he's the good king. Now, immediately we step into the light and we see our shadows. The second part of stepping into the light is acknowledging I need cleansed by a savior. Jesus is the Lord, he's the king, but he's also a gracious, loving, tender and merciful savior who cleanses me. Guys, this is the most freeing and fulfilling way to live. And I absolutely love the way John expresses this in his first letter, 1 John. He says this, God is light and in him there is no darkness. So if we say that we share in life with God, but we continue living in darkness, we're liars who don't follow the truth. We should live in the light where God is. If we live in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood sacrifice of Jesus, God's son, washes away every sin and makes us clean. See, we don't have to get it all together and be perfect before we step into the light. We bring our darkness with us and we say, cleanse me. And that is the good news promise. If we say we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves and the truth is not in us. Those of you who are saying, but I'm a good person. I don't have evil, I don't have wickedness. You have the same seeds. They maybe just haven't grown to full fruition like they have in other people. 
But for those of us who say, I am a sinner and we confess our sins, God will forgive us. We can trust God to do this. He always does what is right. He will make us clean from all the wrong things we've done. That is why Jesus came. I think we've got one more. My dear children, I write this letter to to you so that you will not sin. God doesn't want us to stumble and bumble over here in darkness. He wants us to come into the light. But if anyone does sin, me, this is the good news part, we have Jesus Christ to help us. He always did what was right. So he is able to defend us before God the Father. Jesus is the way our sins can be take, are taken away, and he is the way all people can have their sins taken away too. Guys, this is so, such a relief. It changes everything. This message of God coming in human form to live a perfect, sinless life and then die a sinner's death in our place and offer us the exchange. He takes our darkness and gives us his righteousness as we repent and we trust him. As we step into the light through baptism, the videos you watched earlier, that's the ritual, the transition moment that marks our faith and public declaration of stepping into the light of Christ. And then we live with a whole new outlet, outlook and a whole new filter. We see ourselves differently. We see ourselves the way God sees us, perfect and clean in Christ. We see other people through the eyes of love and possibility and opportunity. We look at our bleak, darkened world, the Ohio River, River Valley winter kind of drab outlook, and all of a sudden there's a different set of lenses. All of a sudden we see redemptive possibilities everywhere. I'm telling you, this is such a radical, transformational. The light of Jesus brightens everything. And I love how Jesus said this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I wish we could take time to give you the list of all the ways your outlook will be brightened by the light of Christ upon you and in you. But guys, it would take, it would take years that's why you need to come back, actually. We're taking the first few months of this next year to study our way through the Gospel of John, every one of Jesus' personal encounters with people to see how it was transformative so that we can be transformed and bring that transformation to others. You've got to come back. But this is the big idea. Jesus is a filter that will brighten everything. If you're a kid and you're in a family or you don't have a family, you don't feel love. If you're a teenager and your life is not what you would have scripted, it's not what you want to be. If you're a young person and you're single and you're just longing and wishing you had somebody that loved you and that you could love. If you're somebody in a family and you've wanted to have a child, but you haven't been able to. If you're somebody who has children, but they've gone astray and your heart is just broken and torn. If you're somebody who's older and maybe you've gone through a divorce or you're alienated from your kids or your family. Maybe you've had a deep, devastating and tragic loss. Maybe you're at the end of your life and you're looking back and you're thinking, what have I done with my life? And there's an aching, gnawing sense of regret. I'm telling you, looking at the world and yourself through the filter of the light of Christ will brighten everything. It won't immediately change your circumstances, although one day it will. That's the great hope of Christ. When he comes back the second time, the circumstances change. I'm saying that in this life, your outlook and your perspective brightens. 
And I gotta share with you a video of a compilation of people who are colorblind seeing color for the first time with these glasses called Enchroma. This illustrates to me, go ahead and play this. This is what happens with the light of Christ. No, right, they're gonna be those inside. are for inside. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> for real? This is really how it looks? Yes. What about really the grasses? What is that uh, like? Well, those were always dead, but now there's actually color to them. They have a yellowish tint to them. Yeah. I never it's saw the I, I never saw the yellow before. <laughs> what did they look like before? Like a like a white. You know what it is? An Instagram filter. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. It's like everything is just it's saturated filter. and more vibrant. Yes. It's like oh yeah, that like has a hint of it. It has a hint of red. Now it's like bursting, <laughs> bursting. Like the it's like the brightest thing. <laughs> It's like brighter than my my brain can believe. Look <laughs> at this. It's like I don't I didn't think this bursting of color was like physically possible. There's no way to describe it. It's like off of the, the spectrum. It's like a new realm. <laughs> that's so emotional to them they're seeing a world that they've missed out on their whole lives they're seeing color for the first time and uh, for me I'm, I've been asking myself why why am I getting so emotional every time I'm seeing that and I, th I think for several reasons one I look out and I see so many people who have no problem whatsoever seeing the darkness and I long for them to see the light I long for you to see the light to have a blackened outlook lifted to step into the light of Jesus and for me especially these past five years since Kayla died in the accident it's been uh, it's been really hard. I've been through meat grinders and pressure cookers in my life, just like everybody, circumstantially, but without 
Christmas and Easter without Christ and without the light of Christ. The world is not just monochrome, it's black for me. I can't live and survive in this world without the light of Christ. And so for me, when I watch those videos of people seeing it resonates, it doesn't immediately change everything, just like their vision isn't perfect, they can't just see everything perfectly, but it's a whole heck of a lot better. And I think about the day that will come when Jesus will come a second time, but not as a little baby, he will come as a conquering king. And he will establish his kingdom of light everywhere. And here's the thing that that we read it earlier in the passage. God loves everybody. Nevertheless, those who remain in the darkness are still condemned. Just because God loves them doesn't mean they've escaped the condemnation. The way to escape the condemnation is to embrace him, to run to him, to charge at him, to trust him, to repent, to yield of living life on your terms and to step into life according to his. On that day when he comes back, this is part of the description John gives us in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. When he sees into the future, I did not see a temple in the city. The Lord God, all-powerful, and the Lamb were the city's temple. That's talking about Jesus. The city did not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. The glory of God. The glory of God gave that city light. No more shadows. No more shadows out there. No more shades in here. No more filters of shame. No more fear. And no more sadness. The lamb was the city's lamp. The peoples of the world will walk by the light given by the lamb. The city's gates will never close on any day because there will be no night there. The invitation to you this Christmas, 2023, is to draw nearer to the light. Sometimes when we've gone so far into the darkness, it can be hard to believe that the light is shining. It can seem like a star that is just so far away, or maybe like a cloud of gray that's over everything. And you're hearing that there's a sun shining, but you're questioning and you're wondering, could, could it be? What if? Maybe? Is there a little spark right now? Maybe? Here's the thing. You can choose to draw nearer to it. You don't have to wait to watch and see. You can actually, like a, like a moth, like an astronaut going out into space, like somebody who elevates above the clouds, you can choose. And the way we do that is by our faith, by our worship, by exploring and investigating. And when we come to that place of a tipping point and a decision to say, I'm in. I'm gonna walk to the light and I'm gonna step across that line and I'm gonna step out in faith and trust and believe and put on the glasses to look at the world through the Jesus lens. And I'm telling you guys, you're gonna think, why didn't I do that sooner? 
And you're gonna feel what I feel, this burden and this hunger and this longing. If I could, I would grab you and I would carry you into the light, but I can't. It's something you choose. And you can choose it today, right now. And even for those of us who have chosen this, I'm telling you, we can still have filters. Life happens, disappointments stack up, unexpected twists and turns. And so we can choose, and I wanna do this. I wanna have the band come on up. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find us online at lscommunity.org or on Instagram at LifespringCommunity and on Facebook at LifespringCommunity.Harrison. If you live near or are visiting the Harrison, Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us. We gather together for services at 5 p.m. on Saturdays and at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings.